Are you pregnant or a new parent looking to ensure a better postpartum experience? Or are you a birth worker looking to improve your postpartum care skills? Check out Thriving After Birth, an online self-paced course by me, midwife and educator Tanya Tringali. It's 10 and a half hours of video content featuring experts in lactation, mental health, pelvic floor health, pediatric sleep issues. You also get worksheets and a workbook, as well as options to have a one-on-one session with me. Sign up at motherwitmaternity.com slash thriving, and let's improve postpartum care together. Hey, everyone. I'm your midwife, Tanya Tringali. Welcome to the Motherwit Podcast, a show about the issues we healthcare consumers and providers face every day as we interact with the medical system. We'll talk about its blind spots, shortcomings, and share strategies we can use to feel seen and heard, no matter which side of the table we sit on. This episode is the third and final installment in a little mini-series on chiropractic care. We started with Rachel Mast's birth story in episode nine, when she mentioned having her chiropractors come to her home in the hours following her birth to work on both her and her baby. Then we had Carly Cossey talk about her work as a chiropractor in caring for postpartum people. And today we have a husband and wife duo, Martin Rosen and Nancy Watson, who are chiropractors focusing on all things newborn. Martin and Nancy, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us, Tanya. Yeah, thanks for having us, Tanya. We appreciate the time you're taking to do this and getting this information out. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you guys because, you know, as a midwife, my national certification allows me to care for newborns for 28 days of life, right? But people continue to come to me with questions and I have to kind of change gears and pivot and I don't know everything about newborns. And I get a lot of those questions that I think you guys are actually way better suited for than I am. So I think we're gonna be able to unpack some things where my knowledge base ends and yours begins and really takes off. Um, So before I get started, I wanna mention to everyone that you have this great book called It's All in the Head which is a book for both practitioners and parents. Um, And you guys do all kinds of trainings for clinicians and all that stuff, but I really wanted to kind of focus in a little bit on this book since it does speak to both healthcare providers and consumers, and that's who my audience is. This is a shared discussion between both sides of us. Um, So um, if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about yourselves and kind of kicking it off that way. You want to go first? Go. So, um, Dr. Watson and I met in chiropractic school in 1978. We were both students at a school called Sherman Chiropractic College, and we met, and we were classmates, became friends, and eventually decided that we wanted to be more than that, so we got married when we were in chiropractic school and got pregnant, and we graduated chiropractic school with Nancy being about seven and a half months pregnant. And what we learned uh, from, even though we have very advanced degrees, what we learned from is that your firstborn is your first experience with a baby. And no matter what kind of training you have, it's uh, undaunting. I mean, just daunting. To, so, so for us, um, you know, we had to 
get, get the training that we needed to take care of our newborn, um, and that was in 1982. And from there, we have developed a whole system of pediatric chiropractic care that we've been teaching since 1982. And this book that you mentioned, It's All in the Head, it's the first book that we wrote for people like parents, grandparents, or any, any person that's dealing with babies, because what we're finding is that people do not know what normal is, as what so many things are happening with babies and with mothers, that we take sometimes what is common to be what is normal. Nancy's right, you know, we had this, this beautiful little baby, and we had gone to chiropractic school, and we understood how important it was to, you know, have their spine and cranium checked, and I realized no one taught us that. Like, that's where our journey started, is we really had to learn how to do what the chiropractic philosophy said on infants and children. And that started us teaching and learning and, um, you know, and so we've been doing that for 40 years. And she's right, the book is, we find so often that people come in thinking that what's going on with the child is that, oh, you know, my friend down the road said their child did this. And my friend on the corner said, yeah, my kid, you know, my kid didn't, her kid didn't poop for seven days or her kid wasn't able to latch and feeding, you know, so we kind of gave up. And, and you hear all this stuff that is common and we have to say, no, that's not normal. You know, it's if you choose to nurse, it's normal for your kid to be able to do that. You know, it's not normal for your child to have a bowel movement once every 10 days. You know, you know, it's, there's certain milestones that your children need to hit, certain developmental things that we see. And also also just the way kids look, the shape of their head, the shape of the cranium, the way their jaw moves, the way their eye looks. There is a big difference between what you see a lot out there and what is actually normal and healthy. You guys are taking me right through everything I wanted to talk about, which is amazing. <laughs> uh, but I want to like pause for a minute because I would love to dig a little bit deeper on a few things. First, Please. I want to say common but not normal is something I say every single day to people. Yeah. And I like adore people who use that phrase because I think it really like speaks to a certain level of understanding that we take so many things for granted. Right. And that's that's just like poo-pooing people and poo-pooing uh -huh. their concerns because you don't have the answer as a practitioner, right? Exactly. So uh, that that's so important that we really figure out what is going on here, regardless of the situation. I, I use that phrase as a midwife. I use it when I'm in personal trainer mode doing fitness stuff. Sure. So yeah, it's huge. What were you going to say? No, well, just it's great. Uh, well, yeah, saying. I kind of wanted to say something about that because um, there is a pre-programmed uh, things that are expected uh, in the neurological system, and you know the things that were true in '82 are true in 2000 and true and true now. So, um, but things have changed, and the level of anxiety that uh, parents feel, I think uh, it's important that. I mean, there's all kinds of parents, I and mean, some parents are very laid back, and they just let their you know their children. Other parents are so concerned whether their children are on track or not. And I think I think having clear information about what is normal, um, so they can then either be like get the intervention they need, or to relax and realize, oh yeah, that that's gonna that's gonna work itself out. So that's for us, it's about being um, educating not only the other chiropractors but also healthcare workers and parents too, and grandparents. Hey everyone, it's me, Tanya, your host here at the Motherwit Podcast. You know I sometimes invite my clients on the show to talk about their birth stories and postpartum experiences, but I want to tell you a little bit more about what those clients and I actually do together. I started Motherwit to help people in the perinatal period achieve their health and wellness goals. That means whether you're hoping to conceive and struggling with high blood pressure or high blood sugar, or you're having trouble managing anxiety or depression in the postpartum period, or maybe you just need support and advocacy between prenatal or postpartum visits. I can help. 
Get a discount on your first consultation with me at motherwitmaternity.com using the code FIRSTCONSULT10% OFF. That's 10% symbol, all one word. I'm looking forward to working with you and maybe having you on the show too. We hope you're enjoying the Mother Wit Podcast. If you are, please rate us and leave a review in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to your podcast. Thanks so much. Now, back to the show. So would you do me a favor and let's talk a little bit about what some of the things are, be they physical characteristics or the actual milestones that parents can actually look for to feel calm and reassured that everything is normal. Okay. So there's a neurological window of opportunity that we call it. And within the first um, year and a half of life, almost all your milestones should be reached, or at least by age two, um, all the primal reflexes and all the milestones you reach. And these are all, they fire off at specific times. So babies are supposed to be able to lift their head within the first three months. If they can't lift their head by themselves, then they can't roll over. If they can't roll over, then they can't learn to sit up. If they can't sit up, then they can't learn to creep and crawl. And if they don't creep and crawl well, then they don't get the coordination and integration to stand, walk. And each one of these milestones are not only neurologically integrated, but they're also socially integrated. As your baby gets to expand more, like when they can lift their head up, they see more of the world. When they sit up, they can see more of the world. It helps them be able to socially interact. So not on the milestones about neurological development, it's about social development as well. So within the first 18 months of life, and actually the first two years, 90% of your nervous system is being laid down. Basically the pathways, the, the gray matter, the white matter. So that's all forming. And the connections that your brain is making, the highest propensity for those connections occur within the first eight months. So you're building a foundation. And any, if you're building a house, if you're buying a car, if you're planting a garden, whatever you're doing, you want the foundation to be as strong as possible. So if we take these kids and we let things that are common slide by the way, what we're doing is we're giving them a weaker foundation. So when the kid is three, four, or five years old, they start to get all these symptoms or these issues or the behavioral issues. And all this stuff was things that happened within the first 18 months that if somebody had stopped, looked, and done some intervention at that point in time, the odds are most of these other issues would not have come up later on. So let me ask a question. Um, what I'm hearing you say, right, is that one milestone must precede the next yes. in order to progress normally. Yeah. So, right. But we know that there are cases where babies skip they over skip. something. Yes, they can so skip them. Can you talk a little bit about what meaning that holds, if any? So... Are you, so are you talking about physical milestones, like the sit, some kids that they don't crawl, they go right to walking? Right. That's certainly the example that came to mind. But if there's sure. a better yeah. one, I'm all ears. Well, no, that's actually the most prevalent yes. one. And the reason why that is such a difference is because you can sit, you can build up the musculoskeletal strength, and you can go from sitting to a stage of walking without creeping and crawling. The problem, the loss there is neurological integration. Their nervous system isn't developed or coordinated correctly because they never got to integrate both sides of the brain. Yeah, and I think that's why the big focus on tummy time now is is because babies need to spend time on their stomachs because not only will they learn, have the neck control, but they'll go through that stage of creeping and crawling. So many of the things right. like the carriers and stuff that they have them in, it, it, you know, or if they don't have t- enough tummy time, they may go from sitting to standing. We don't think that's a good idea. 
You know, the, the, yeah. the analogy I like to use is like, so animals in the wild, right, in the, in the jungle, or even animals like horses and cows, large animals, when they're born, they can walk within a certain few hours. If they can't walk, if you live in the jungle in the Serengeti or something and you can't walk, then you're dead. And so their milestones are literally, and that's what they developed there, they're primal issues. They, they're in the primal brain. They're primal for your development and your survival. And when you, so when you think of that, you don't want to skip a milestone that is, that is basically programmed into your survival mechanism because that's going to create a compensation somewhere else in your nervous system later on that you will pay the price for. Yeah, and, and that's we, what yeah, the problem is. And we is. have seen that with some children that have difficulty converging or learning to read or a, a number of attention issues. Um, oftentimes they didn't creep and crawl or at least didn't creep and crawl for a long period of time. And we will actually put them on exercises so they can learn that cross-patterning. Um, so it's better to learn it before they walk, right. but it's, I, you're right, it does happen. And uh, we encourage uh, more tummy time so that at least they get enough uh, creeping and crawling. So in addition to the exercises that you might prescribe in right. a given situation, tell, can you tell us a little bit about what it looks like for the onlooking parent when you're actually working on their baby and how that, how what you're doing relates to whatever yeah. it is that's going sure. on in their development? So any child that comes in, whether it's for a well baby visit or if they're neurologically challenged or they have particular issues, whether it be nursing issues or digestive issues or infection, whatever it is, we do a complete exam. This exam includes chiropractic evaluation protocols, neurological protocols, and functional protocols. And the whole idea of the exam is to get a baseline of how their nervous system is functioning. So we have then a picture of how that child's nervous system is developing. And what we do in chiropractic is we do what we call chiropractic adjustments. In our world, we do adjustments to both the spine and the cranium. Now, the pediatric chiropractic is a whole different art form. It's just like you wouldn't go to a geriatric cardiologist with your newborn. You go to a pediatrician. So the same thing is true if you have a baby that you want to bring, you want to bring into a pediatric chiropractor. It's a whole new set of skills. And what we do is we look for imbalances in the system or that are creating abnormal tension and abnormal function. And we make what's called an adjustment, which is a very low force procedure to help remove that interference to the nervous system. So the best way I can think about it is there's a system in the body called the dural meningeal system. And it's a tension mediated system that attaches to the nerves, to the bones, to the muscles and the fascia. And the nervous system is supposed to develop at a certain tone. So for example, if you have a guitar, and you have a, a string attached to the top and a string attached you know, on the fretboard to the bottom. If you change the tension in that guitar string, you change the tone, the vibration of it, and there's a certain vibration that you want. Well, in the nervous system, there's tissue that attaches all the way from the top of the skull all the way down to the tailbone. And if that system or that tissue, it's called the dural meningeal system, is too loose or too tight, it changes the way the nervous system can basically vibrate or function. And so our job is to change that tension in the system so basically we tune it to the right tone so that it can function at its optimal level. So your analogy for the lay people was the guitar string, right? Right. So right. it's like you're saying it's like when you loosen the tension exactly. on that guitar string. And that's when you do manipulations on a baby, which as right. I understand it are significantly more gentle than right. when yeah. we do manipulations oh, on adults, whole, right? It's a whole different skill set, yes. Oh, yes, right. Right. yes. Yeah. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about what it might look like, like an actual patient scenario, if you have one available that comes to mind, um, when, a, when somebody comes to you with something that they've identified, and, and what does it look like to see change 
Is it subtle, okay. gradual, require lots of time, or is it something that happens very quickly? So the answer to all those questions is yes. Sometimes it's really quickly. Sometimes it, so. So that's the whole idea of doing an evaluation. So I get a baseline. So let's say, for example, I had a little boy that came in that was brought to me because, and I don't know why I'm on the poop thing, but it's brought to me because it was three months old and had not had a normal bowel movement in 20 days. The parents went to the pediatrician and said, um, you know, that's normal. Don't worry about it. And of course, the mom went, that's crazy. That's not normal. So she brought the baby in and we did the examination. We brought her back in for her evaluation, her first adjustment. And after the first adjustment, she pooped within 24 hours. And that, so that was very quick. But we've also had kids who were brought in with like chronic ear infections. I had a little, a little baby that was just brought in and they had, had for the first year of his life said four ear infections. So they have chronic kind of ear infection. So that sometimes takes a longer process. But it's like anything to else. Deal like with that. If you're an adult and you've never had body work and you come to a chiropractor at age of say fifty five, you know, you may get it may take you longer because there's been trauma and all kinds of uh, layers of compensation over that or even though it may you may think it's a simple thing. With a baby it really depends. It depends on the birth, if there's a birth that's been difficult, it's so many things uh, a factor in the toxic level. Um, as I said, every newborn that comes into Sears, and we see we see many many babies, um, we do the full evaluation. There is a certain expectation um, from the parent as well as from us that we will see changes. Right. Um, and 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 if we're not seeing them, then we take a look at um, how we're approaching it. But something like flagiocephaly, which is like a, like say a flat head, so many babies have that, and so. You know, if after a series of adjustments, we should be seeing some change. If not, then we're going to look at lifestyle. We're going to see how they're having the baby lay at night or during the day. So we're going to look at the things that are going to be a contributing factor to why something may or may not change. But um, yep. with, with children, with young children, we do expect to changes relatively quickly um, because their nervous system. So yeah. you know, what we the reason we do the exam is so we can monitor. Right. So if a new baby comes in, and I'm going to say that. Um, they need some intensive care for six weeks. I'm going to monitor them, and within two weeks of their first time they come to the office, we're going to do a reevaluation to see if the, the parameters are changing. And a perfect example is flagiocephaly. Someone comes in with a 10 millimeter distortion of flagiocephaly. You want to say what that is? What? Just explain what flagiocephaly is. Well, flagiocephaly is flathead. You just explained okay. that. <laughs> they have, they have, oh, they, you're you're right, a husband okay. and wife team for sure. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so, 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 so the bottom line is every two weeks I'm going to remeasure to make sure there's changes. Uh, if I there's see. not, then I'm, I may either look, as Nancy said, at other parameters or I may refer them out to a practitioner for something like a helmet or something sure. that they may need. So, so we're always monitoring parameters. Yeah, it's you guys are you guys are on the same page as me. We're on the same wavelength here because right. everything that I was planning to ask you, you get to like right before I'm about to ask you, which <laughs> is pretty incredible. So I was absolutely going to ask you about how that treatment works because huh. look, looking at a baby in a helmet makes sense, right. but. I think people have a hard time understanding how the manipulations that you do, gentle as they are, can change okay. the shape of the skull. Like, can okay. you unpack that sure. a little bit? So, <laughs> can we change the term manipulation, though? Well, well so, so the adjustment <laughs> we use is, the term we use is adjustment, yes. only because manipulation is a global term used by other practitioners as well. Uh -huh. um, so we do, but so, so when you think about a helmet, so what they do with a helmet is they put the helmet on your head and where there's a flat spot, all right, they leave a space 
for the helmet. And where there's a bulging spot, they put foam against it so it pushes it, and it forces the cranium to mold. So in the first year of life, the cranium has sutures, and it's like a tectonic plates. They all can shift around. So they make an external change in the pressure. What we do as chiropractors is change the internal mechanism. And how we do that is through the indicator system that we teach. So in other words, we're not guessing. We're not guessing where that, where that dural tension is. We, we've done an examination. We, we read the indicators of that nervous system and that, whether it be an adult or a child or whatever it is, we read that and then we work with those indicators to change the dural system. So we will know if it changes based on the indicators if they change. So, so I'm going yeah, go to make a, an analogy for yes. us because I feel like it's gotten a little heady for yes, our listeners, which it, it's fair. This is complicated yeah. stuff. And we yeah. do have practitioners listening who might be like really, really hooked, but we might have patients right. listening who are like, what is happening here? Exactly. So what I'm hearing to make an analogy to something that I talk about on this show a lot, because we talk a lot about the pelvic floor and the way the pelvic floor uh, works. Yep. And thing. we talk a lot about how some people might have knee pain and, you know, these two things seem unrelated, but guess what? They're probably not. And sometimes we have a baby that won't get into a good position and it's because we've got pelvic bones or muscles that are too tight or too weak on Absolutely. one side. Exactly. What it sounds to me like you're doing without getting into the weeds about how a yes. chiropractor does the work that they do, which is right. sort exactly. of magical, is you're realigning different parts of the system, similarly to how a PT might, or, or a chiropractor doing right. Webster technique, might align the pelvis and things like that. Right. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and we're, and we're looking for the linchpin. So when we don't want to be you know, adjusting, especially on a sensitive nervous system like a baby, overstimulating them. So we're looking for the linchpin that will do the most amount of work with the least amount of mm -hmm. interference. Interference, because that's... Cause that's yeah, but it's good. I mean, your, your point is really very well taken. You know, if you even if you just look at a little child, like a three-year-old standing up and they're standing and one foot is turned in and one hip is high and one shoulder is rotated, and you look at that, you can see the tension in their system. And if you can change those balance, not only do you change the structure, but you change the underlying influences, what you're talking about, like the muscles, the fascia, and in the spine, the dura. So another common condition that a lot of my clients are having, and I don't know if there's an increased incidence of this in modern times, but is torticollis. Yeah. Is, is that something that's actually happening more often in the way that plagiocephaly is? So my personal opinion is that we're seeing many more interventions in the birth process, mm -hmm. um, whether they be forceps delivery, vacuum deliveries, um, um, inducements. And I think the birth process is becoming more, for lack of a better term, violent, more intense. It's, it's becoming less of a natural process in a lot of places. And that puts stress on the baby and the mom. And that's why I think we're seeing incidences of these issues. You know, we, we used to talk about um, things like, you know, C-section deliveries. You know, in the, in the 60s and 70s, the average C-section rate in the, across the country was 6 or 8%. Now it's up to 38%. So we're having a lot of interventions, a lot of stresses, and that affects the baby. So yeah, I think we're seeing many more torticollises. Flagiocephaly, the reason is kind of simple. In the 90s, the American Pediatric Association yeah. freaked people out, told them don't put their baby on there. You know, don't right. let your baby sleep on the stomach because they're going to get SIDS yeah. with a sudden infant death syndrome. Um, and there are other facts in it. So people stopped doing that. Right. You know, started doing that. And so if you keep a baby locked in one position, whether it be in a swing or a car seat, mm -hmm. because people, that 
incorporates the flagellocephaly and the, like I said, the torticollis. Again, mm -hmm. the more traumatic the birth process, the higher that propensity. Okay, so just again for our listeners, we did not define torticollis. I think I'll right. let you guys do right. that. You want to explain what that is? So torticollis, what you see as a, as a parent is you'll see that your baby either has a head tilt or tends to favor one side all the time and will turn and doesn't like to turn to the other side. And so torticollis is basically a torsion or tension in the upper neck that doesn't allow the head to move equally or both sides or doesn't sit straight on the shoulders, yep. it tilts to one and side. You'll see a baby that will not only nurse on one side, I mean, yeah, there's all kinds one. of indicators of, of that. Yeah. Um, well, every time the baby put the baby in the car seat, they lay with their head to the yeah. right. They yeah. never turn it to the yeah. left. So. You know, or even on tummy time, you'll see it with babies with torticollis tummy times. They'll pick their head up, it'll be tilted, and they'll turn easier to one side than the other. Mm -hmm. And the problem with uncorrect, not correcting that is when they get to the next phase or the next milestone, which is rolling over, it becomes more difficult if they have torticollis. All right. Thank you for that explanation. Okay. Yeah. So we don't freak our listeners out too much. I want to talk about some things that are really normal, but that are real struggles in everyday life, right? Things everybody goes through who, who you know, look, not everybody's going to have plagiocephaly or torticollis, right. but exactly. every parent wants to sleep. Every yes. parent. And babies yes. that don't sleep make for parents that don't sleep. And mm -hmm. rumor has it that you guys have the power to impact <laughs> sleep in babies. So. Can you tell us what that looks like? Well, oftentimes what's uh, driving the not sleeping is that babies are often born into a sympathetic state, so they're, they're just turned on all the time. It could be uh, the birth process itself. It could be anything that's irritating them. So for us, um, especially baby, we, we work with the cranium. Um, the cranium and the sacrum, they control the parasympathetic or the rest and, you know, rest, resting system. So by resetting the system and calming them down, it definitely helps with them sleeping um, or anything uh, and, and pooping um, or anything that has to do with uh, rest and restoring. So yes, but, but the truth is not, not every baby is going to sleep eight hours a night. Some parents have, you know, kind of ridiculous expectations about that. They do go through a cycle, but I do think a baby that's turned on all the time has a hard time resetting themselves to sleep. Yeah, it's, it's about creating balance in the nervous system. Right. Like Nancy mm -hmm. said, there's a, two parts of, of the system. There's the sympathetic and parasympathetic, and they're supposed to change, interchange. And sometimes when the nervous system is too irritated, the baby can't get out of state. Like often, they're waking up and sleeping because they're uncomfortable. Right. You yeah. know, sometimes it's, it's colic, sometimes it's reflux, sometimes it's just tension. We had a little, I had a, a baby brought in, um, and the mom I have to say, I felt very sorry. The baby slept an hour and a half max any time during the day and night. Every hour and a half was up, was up, was up, was up, was the, up. Yeah. And, um, you know, and the only way the baby would nurse would be if it was lying next to the mom in bed and sleeping. So it was, mm -hmm. it was horrific for her. And the, the problem was, number one, when we checked the baby out, is that the baby had some really... If you think about your nervous system being too tight, if you think about being too tense, like you all have had stiff necks or sore shoulders. Well, when a baby has something like that, if there's too much tension in their spine... They have no outlet to express that except to cry or to try and move around and try and change that. So if we can find those areas that are creating that kind of tension and we release that, they calm down. Right. So this mm -hmm. mom, who was only able, the baby was sleeping every hour and a half, after the first adjustment, she came in and she just had this look on her face. She goes, she just slept 12 hours straight. <laughs> and I said, I said, look, I said, that's great. Don't expect that. I said that. But, you know, after uh, after a couple of weeks of care, the baby was on a regular cycle and was sleeping yeah, six but, hours at a but time. But I, sure. yeah. I do think that baby's exhausted. 
I mean, and, and so and it becomes a family issue. If someone in the family is not sleeping, then that whole family is not sleeping. Right. So it's, yeah. it, and then if you're not sleeping, then you're not thinking clearly. And, and then there's a level of stress that, so it's a really family issue when, when a baby's not sleeping. Well, when but, anything's wrong yeah, with a baby. When anything's wrong with a yeah. baby. But I do, th- I do think it's true, like it's just to soothe. Like, so, so like that baby was obviously exhausted and slept 12 hours. That's not normal either. How much of the work that you do involves giving the families homework that they then need to be doing when they're not in the office with you? I think it depends on the age of the child, you know, and also how much the parents can take on. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, so certainly like in older children that may need some kind of uh, reprogramming exercises, we do give those to a parent after a certain period of time. We're going to see what we can do with their nervous system before that. But um, I, w- I would say... Yeah, I would say that what we do is we start out by seeing what happens um, by just making the adjustments. And then let's say somewhere around six weeks into care, when we do a whole reevaluation, we'll sit down with the parent and, with, you know, and talk about what's changed, what has it, where you're going... The area we live in in Boston has a lot of services. So I am not an expert OT or a PT mm-hmm. or a speech pathologist or any of that stuff. But what I will do is if I get to a point where someone comes in with a particular issue that is getting better but not resolving, then I may say to them, look, you know, Johnny's doing X amount better, but I think now would be the time to add OT or now would be the time to see a speech therapist. What I find is whenever we refer or get referrals from some kind of functional doctor who's working with children, that once they get adjusted and the nervous system clears out, the amount of progress they make is tenfold. Like they'll be working with them and all of a sudden they'll make leaps and bounds in whatever their speech or make leaps and bounds in their coordination. Because we're mostly dealing with the underlying structure. So to answer that question percentage-wise, I personally at this point in my career probably give um, instruction maybe 10 to 15% of the time. The other time, I'll either find it's not necessary or I'll refer it to a professional who is much more versed and that's their focus. And we'll work together. You know, it's like if a baby comes in with tongue tie, right? I'll evaluate them and there's different levels of tongue tie. I That's exactly like that. what yeah. I was thinking about when I asked you the question. Exactly. This is crazy. Like, we're like this. Yeah. Wild. Right. I'm so no, tongue-tied too. That's so exactly because I was thinking about how time-consuming exercises are for that. Right. And parents exactly. get really overwhelmed. And so I was they now get, like, right. oh, my God, now we're dealing with the whole body. Are you giving right. them a bunch of exercises? Right. <laughs> no. So tongue-tie is a really great example of that. So there, are, like I said, there are three levels of tongue-tie. There's what they call posterior where it's all the way back. There's the middle tongue tie, and there's an anterior tongue tie. For those of you who don't know what a tongue tie is, it's there's a little piece of skin that called the frenulum that holds your tongue to the roof of your mouth so it doesn't go flapping out of your mouth. And it's supposed to attach at a certain point. In some cases, it attaches too far towards the tip. And if it does that, you can't use your tongue correctly. So the answer to that, if I have a baby who comes with an anterior tongue tie, they're having trouble nursing, and they can't stick their tongue out of their mouth, or what they do, they get the little heart shape or it points to the ground. Those children, I almost, I, not almost, I always recommend they have a revision because that can't function right. Yeah, yeah and we've and, got a really great episode on tongue tie with right. a midwife who's also oh, an IBCLC Perfect. and she calls oh, herself the tongue tie expert and right. she trains providers and oh, patients right. just awesome. like you guys right. do. So that's I right. will be sure to link uh, that in the yes. show notes yeah. for yes. people who want yes. more on tongue tie who might right. be hearing right. it for the first time in this episode. Exactly. That'd be um, great. awesome. 
really so good yeah one. so that's a perfect example if we see one that's a middle or posterior tongue tie very often we could skip having the revision because the child can adapt to that we check all the functional parameters around that make sure the palate's developing right they're nursing right you know all that stuff is happening so again in that case maybe a third of the time we'll have to send them for the revision and then the exercises so yeah so it all based on as nancy said a number of times how the child comes onto the planet you know what are we looking at what we're looking for so I think, you know, as we move towards wrapping up, I, I have mm-hmm. two more questions for you. And they're not necessarily super specific to the actual work you do, but more just your thoughts around this. Okay. I work with a lot of families where the anxiety is really high already, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it can be very challenging for me mm-hmm. to unpack for people what it is I think they need to do because, again, mm-hmm. sometimes I'm heightening fears. But there's this like weird balance of needing to be proactive while not fear-mongering or making them feel more anxious about things. What advice can you put out there from where you sit on your side of the table about how parents can watch for these milestones and be proactive, but perhaps maybe minimize some of this anxiety? Anxiety is tough. I mean, especially the last two and a half years, the level of anxiety has just quadrupled. And, and, but when you think what anxiety is, is anxiety is a sense of uncertainty. So for me, when I think of, as a, a new parent, um, there is, it's, it's, it's a huge job. I think for two things, I think education and empowering. Education, knowing the information, and then empowering that you actually can take care of your child or you can find the services that you need. Those are the two areas that I like is because um, I do think that once um, you have more information it may calm some of the level of fear that you have I mean it's anxiety it's a fear-based response and so there's a level of uncertainty and again it's a sympathetic response and it's not always the best place to come from because you do use bad judgment so for me it's education and empowering uh, a parent who feels like they don't have um, what they need uh, that can be can, can can cause a lot of anxiety so that's kind of where that's I it. do and I and I we never belittle a parent so like if you make a decision that maybe two months down the road you regret that's another anxiety provoking thing so it's like you mm-hmm. can't take back what happened you can only move forward so then again that's just kind of like a loving empowering space that I like right. to create for parents when they come into our office and, and you're right anxiety is is it's free-floating it's everywhere I so. think I think for me um, the difference is actually listening to the parent. Mm. Like mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. really listening to them and taking wherever they're at mm-hmm. and accepting it. And so, you know, there's a thing where, you know, if you walk into an office and you're really upset, really sad, and you have this person bouncing around and go, oh, life is great, you know, you're, you're like 12 steps above them. It doesn't work. The idea is to listen to the parent, understand what they're saying. Number one, acknowledge the fact that most mothers, more often than not, their intuition is right. If they think something is wrong, there is. So acknowledging that. Then telling them also that you can help and that you have avenues to help. So it's listening, it's empowering, and then acknowledging what they what they say, and then letting them know that there number one there is hope, and there are things that can change, and that is really the big difference. I mean, we've had, you know, we over the years we've had some really horrific, horrific, painful, painful things coming into parents who just have diagnoses that you know, would, would rip your heart out because they know that this child is not going to survive normally. But at least let him know that there are avenues that they can use, that there are people that are going to listen, that there are people that will help, <coughs> excuse me, help them through the process. It does a lot to quell the anxiety because when you're anxious, you know, you feel alone. 
and anxiety is all about thinking about the future, not what's happening at that moment in time. So if you can bring them back to present time, that also reduces the anxiety. You know, come back to the present moment, deal with what we're dealing with now, and we can move forward step by step. You sound an awful like there's an awful lot like a midwife. <laughs> <laughs> well, midwives are very, I, and very I will, special. I will people. admit I'm not as good at that in my personal relationship. <laughs> true. True. I think many of us can say the same thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Those of us who who give to a lot of people okay. in life, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, we we deal with burnout in various ways. That's how right. I landed here, running this right. strange midwifery virtual practice and having a podcast because this right. is how I handled my professional well, burnout. <laughs> well. Well, I will say there's, there's two pieces that you say. The midwives are very special people. They hold a space. And also the hospice workers. I mean, both ends oh, of the yeah. spectrum. Yeah. is like to sit in a space and just let that space unfold the way that it is. That mm-hmm. is a real gift. And I, and, and so, yeah, I, we are uh, totally yeah, we, Midwives, we just love midwives. And midwives and doulas, yeah. they're just, what they do is just, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> I've been to Few maybe births. three other births that weren't my children. And I'm like, that's enough. <laughs> Get this baby out. I'm out of here. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm glad you're pretty, but I'm done. <laughs> so, yeah. Love it. I love it. Well, listen, tell our listeners how they can find more information from you to get more educated and um maybe how can they find because you guys are clearly people from boston Uh, right exactly (laughs) um and they can't necessarily all come to you but how can they find people who have learned from you do you want to get the link? Show me too. Well, yeah. So we, no. you can find us on on social media. Our, our our we have websites, and we do have a pediatric referral directory of people that have studied extensively with us. Um, there's so many of them. Right. So the pediatric yeah. referral directory, you can get it on our two of our websites. One is drdrmartinrosen.com. The other is peakpotentialprogram.com. Both of those are professional websites. They have our professional information, um, that, that certificate, um, the pediatric certificate class on um, the referral directory. If you're a patient or a layperson, you want to find out more about us in just general chiropractic, that is our Wellesley Chiropractic website, and that's Wellesley, W-E-L-L-E-S-L-E-Y, chiro.com. So those are three places that you can always find us. And right, we have an Instagram account, you know, hashtag yeah. Dr. Martin Rosen. And we have a bunch of Facebook <laughs> um, pages that you can all contact from us. And if you want to just email us, the email is drdrmartinrosen at gmail.com. And we'll try and help you find somebody um, for you. And if you want to learn about our trainings, like I said, it's on those two professional websites. And yeah, if you have questions, yep. send them to us. We yep. will answer them. Yep. Thank you so much. And I will be sure to put all of that in the show notes so that people don't thank have you. to uh, thank you, right. remember. Thank you. <laughs> but thank you so much for this conversation. It's well, a lot to unpack. And I know that we is. kind of well. just opened a bit of a can of worms. But hopefully that leads people down the path that perhaps they've been searching for. I know uh-huh. that I can say for myself that I have clients who are hopefully listening right now who I've recommended chiropractic care for and for whom they have been too nervous yeah. about that um, exactly. for whatever reason. And I'm hoping that this conversation today may have changed some minds and attitudes when people so. are feeling stuck. Yeah, thank I you so, so much. And let them also know that chiropractic care for kids and infants is actually safer. I don't know if this is a great thing, but it's actually safer than adjusting an adult because of the specificity and the low level of adjustment protocols that we use. It's actually one of the safest interventions that you can do for a child. Yep. 
And All if, right. And if you, and if, yep. So yep. we will be happy to help anyone find referrals. So thank you so much for having us yes, on thank your, you. your appreciate podcast, it. Tanya. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. We'll be in touch. Right. Thanks. Right, thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Motherwit Podcast. If any of the issues we discussed today resonate with you or your experience, I'd love to hear from you. Leave me a voicemail at 917-310-0573, or better yet, email me a voice memo at tanya at motherwitmaternity.com. I really want to hear what worked for you, what didn't work, what support you'd wish you had, how you got through the tough times, how you advocated for yourself, or especially any tips you want to share with our listeners. I want to hear all of it. And if you'd really like to work together, you can get a discount on your first consultation with me at motherwitmaternity.com using the code FIRSTCONSULT10% off. That's 10% symbol, all one word. Okay, that's all. It's wonderful being in community with you all. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. And remember, listeners, nothing we discuss on this show should ever be considered medical advice. Please speak to your local provider about anything that comes up in this show that resonates with you and your needs and your health care.